Truth Espresso, episode 282. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, once again for yet another episode of Truth Espresso. And I'm going solo on this episode. I am getting ready to head up in a few days as of this recording to a fundraising banquet at a pregnancy resource center for which my family, my wife especially, assists. And as I'm recording this, my wife and the kids are already up there. They have uh, things they have to do to help out there while I'm finishing up work, and then I'm going to head up there. And so that's why I'm doing an episode all by my little self here. And so what to talk about just by myself here? Well, the Super Bowl came once again. And once again, in the ads, there was an ad from the He Gets Us campaign. And this ad had a slideshow of what looks like AI-generated images of someone washing someone else's feet. And, you know, if you look closely enough at these images as they're going by through the song, they're mostly of someone who looks like what would be identified as a right-wing type person washing the feet of someone who looks more like a left-wing type person. So, for instance, you have a cop washing the feet of someone who looks like he might be a BLM activist. Or you have what looks like possibly a pastor washing the feet of, you know, a lesbian woman or so-called transgender woman, a man identifying as a woman, what have you. Uh, So most of these are kind of a message to communicate both to Christians and those who might consider themselves conservative politically, and at the same time to those who would be considered on the left politically to kind of, here's a message for you. To the left, it's kind of to show like, hey, Jesus could appeal to you. Look at what we're promoting here. We want to show love to you all. And doesn't this look like how you might perceive the love of Jesus and that you can experience that and that we could all experience that. And so you don't feel like shamed. And then at the same time, the message is to Christians and to um, politically conservative types that, hey, maybe instead of hating You should humble yourself and wash the feet of people with whom you disagree. And then at the end of the slideshow in this ad, it says, Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. And then once again, it says, he gets us, all of us. And so that's the campaign from He Gets Us to viewers of the Super Bowl to realize that Jesus didn't teach hate and that this message of foot washing as an expression of the love of Jesus could be something or an example of or even a symbol of how we could heal the rifts in our society and that 
Jesus gets us all. He understands us all. And he is an example of, as the site says, like radical love or love activist that he's the key to healing all the division that we experience in society, especially more and more today. And we could understand, of course, that understanding Jesus is indeed the key to healing the problems of society, to healing the disagreements. The question is, what does that mean? And the question is, what exactly are we to understand about Jesus to heal the problems? So let's get into this ad and also look at some of the resources on the He Gets Us website. And I'll post a link to the site and to the different sections of it from which I I will read some snippets and then I will talk about them and and look at the Bible and see if the snippets from this website, what it says, really shows the full picture, the full understanding of what we need to know about Jesus. So first of all, from this ad, it's all about foot washing and it kind of presents this idea of maybe if we just wash each other's feet we will kind of come under the love spell of it all and we'll experience that spine-tingling feeling of humility and then we'll all just love each other kind of as we are. I mean, maybe, maybe there will be some changes and stuff, but we'll overlook our differences and just love each other in some way. Now, what about foot washing according to the Bible? Because if we're trying to present Jesus and we know that the foot washing came from John chapter 13, the example of Jesus washing his disciples in an act of humility by Jesus. Now, what is foot washing or at least what was it? Well, It was an ancient custom in the Middle East, and it was kind of necessitated, and it was practiced as a courtesy because people would wear sandals, and you'd live in kind of arid climates. There'd be a lot of dust, of course, as you walk from place to place. Your feet would be dirty from dust. And so when you went into someone's house, the host of the house would usually have a servant who would go wash the guests' feet. So that was a general courtesy of the owner of the house to have a worker or a servant to wash a guest's feet. So now, what does he gets us say about foot washing? In one of its articles called Loving Your Neighbor is Nearly Impossible, How Can We Do It?, There's a statement that says, We began to imagine a world where ideological others were willing to set their differences aside and wash one another's feet. Okay, you can entertain what that would be like if people did that. But of course, the question is, what did the Bible teach about foot washing? Was this something that anyone should do to anyone? Is that what Jesus was teaching? So let's look at the example from the Bible. As I mentioned, John chapter 13, we see at verse 4 and following where it says, He, Jesus, riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. 
So he kind of took the role and look and actions as the servant of the house, even though he was the master, the teacher, the disciples. And then, of course, Peter kind of felt a little uneasy about this, but told Jesus not to wash his feet. And Jesus said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And then verse 9, Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not, save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Because he's referring to Judas Iscariot in verse 11, where it says, For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. But I want to observe something about this particular account this is the account in the Bible. Now, there's other examples where, like you have the woman with the alabaster box who washes Jesus' feet with ointment. You have the woman who cries and wipes Jesus' feet with her tears. Those aren't necessarily the custom that we're talking about, but the prime example of foot washing comes from this John 13 passage. But I want to notice one thing about it. Who's washing whose feet and why? Jesus is the teacher, the master of these disciples. They are together because they are the disciples of Jesus and he is their teacher. And let's look at verses 13 through 18. Jesus says, Ye call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Who's the one another? Why, it seems his disciples. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Given you, who? The disciples. An example as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. So what about these phrases and words that I'm emphasizing here? The foot washing account in the Bible, at least as it pertains to Jesus as he is teaching it, has to do with the disciples of Jesus. He says, I know whom I have chosen. He refers to servant and Lord, your Lord and master. This is an example for you. So the principle that Jesus gives concerning foot washing here is about his disciples, those whom he has chosen to do for one another, meaning each other, disciples, to wash one another's feet, the feet of other disciples. You know, often how the disciples of Jesus, we would see how they would argue with each other about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus said, you know, the one who is the servant would be greatest of all. So basically, he's expecting them to humble themselves before each other. But the lesson has to do with disciples of Jesus. 
he gets us can imagine a world where ideological others are willing to set aside their differences of washing others' feet. Hey, that's fine and dandy of them to imagine that. But it doesn't seem to be a proper understanding of the scripture because Jesus is talking about an example for his disciples, those he has chosen to do for one another. Not for Christians in particular to wash the feet of unrepentant people. Those whom Jesus has chosen to be disciples. Now, Jesus did choose Judas, yes. He gets us, does use the example of Judas to show about washing the feet of someone who rebelled against Jesus or was a a son of perdition. But Jesus chose him to be among them so that he would fulfill the role of betraying him. This wasn't something that Jesus commissioned the disciples to do when he told them, go into all the world and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them. He didn't say, oh yeah, and washing their feet. I mean, I'm not one of those old regular Baptists who believes that there's some kind of ordinance of literal foot washing. But the principle there is that the disciples of Jesus should serve each other, should serve other disciples of Jesus. And that's what the foot washing is about. It's not about putting aside ideologies. Okay, moving on from foot washing... Let's get to the question of who is Jesus and does that matter? Now, he gets us from the About Us section. They have this to say. This is the kind of frequently asked questions in a way, and they're about us. One question says, is this affiliated with a certain religion? And the answer is, it's about Jesus, so it's certainly affiliated with Christianity, But our point is that the story of Jesus doesn't belong to anyone. It has something to offer to everyone, inviting Christians, non-Christians, and those who aren't sure what they believe to consider Jesus. The example of his life can inspire all of us to pursue unconditional love for ourselves and for others, and that can encourage us to learn more about Jesus and his mission. Okay, so in other words, There's something that people can learn about Jesus and that can encourage them as they learn about him to learn more about Jesus and his mission. Okay, if that would work in practice, sure, but uh, who are all these people, Christian and non-Christian, whatever, who are invited by he gets us to check out Jesus regardless of what they might think about him? What if they're attracted to Jesus that if they learn more about Jesus and his mission would be repulsed by it? What good does that do? Because I would like to propose the old statement, what you win them with is what you win them to. He gets us, has the question, who do you believe Jesus is? And the answer is, we believe there is something in the story of Jesus for everyone. That's why fans of the campaign and those working on it include people who are curious about this man and his story and want to explore it for themselves. Those reconstructing their faith and those who believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, all of us work together relentlessly to share the transformative power that unconditional love, forgiveness, and sacrificial generosity have to change us, our families, our communities, and our country. 
It wouldn't be hard to guess that many of those backing the campaign believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. He Gets Us is an initiative of Come Near Incorporated, a nonprofit organization committed to sharing the life and love of Jesus that believes Jesus was human and divine, he rose from the dead, and more. No matter who you are and what you believe, we're glad you're here. I was trying to find on the He Gets Us website uh, something like a statement of faith that would at least say, we're glad you're here, but if you really want to know all the stuff we believe about Jesus, here's our statement of faith. But it doesn't seem like it wants to have a statement of faith because they want to try to draw in. They want a big tent of people somehow seeking Jesus in some way. And then hopefully as they explore him by being drawn in by this just message of love and inclusion that somehow maybe they'll stick around for more in-depth stuff. We see examples with Jesus himself how that doesn't work. In John chapter 6, you had Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then you had people who were fed from the miracle there. Yeah, they saw Jesus because they saw and felt and experienced something that they liked. And they followed him and they vigorously crossed the Sea of Galilee to pursue him. And they wanted to make him a king. But they ended up leaving. Now, why did they leave? It was because of Jesus' words. It's important that we don't mince words when it comes to Jesus' words. And he gave them hard sayings about eating his flesh and drinking his blood because he's talking about coming to him and believing in him in a way that turned away these people. They saw a miracle. They experienced it. But that wasn't enough. Jesus expected them to eat his words His words matter, and his disciples said, You have the words of eternal life, the words of eternal life. Not just some words, all the words that Jesus said are important. And it does matter who he is, because the He Gets Us site tries to act like we're just all one big group of people who want to discover Jesus. Some of us believe what the Bible says about him. Others might not even believe in God, but just are inspired by this historical man. But we see in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17, that when Jesus asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. It is important to realize that for someone truly to appreciate and recognize who Jesus is, it requires a supernatural revelation from God the Father. It's not flesh and blood. You don't come to Jesus by just recognizing that some historical Jesus of Nazareth man lived and that he was a good example. 
You have to embrace him for who he is. Why would Jesus even ask his disciples about who people think he is? And ask them, well, who do you believe I am? That's important to Jesus from his disciples. Are people who just don't even believe in God, but see this loving person from history going to appreciate him if they find that the scriptures reveal that he's the incarnation of the Son of God, a one person with two natures, and that he is the ultimate king of the whole world, and that he's coming to judge the living and the dead? Are they going to like that? In Mark 14, verses 61 through 64, We have a high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now this is when Jesus was on trial. And Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And Jesus was quoting from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, where Daniel in the night visions sees one like the Son of Man going up to the Ancient of Days, and he's coming in the clouds of heaven, And there is given him a kingdom forever, and the entire world worships him, gives him divine worship. Then in verse 63, then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we have any further witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. So why was Jesus condemned to die? Why was he judged to die? Was it because he was some social revolutionary? Was it because he just loved people too much? That wasn't the problem. People didn't have a problem with that. They didn't seek to kill him because of his love. They sought to kill him because of what they considered blasphemy, because he made bold statements about who he was, and they didn't like that because they didn't want to be subject to someone who said things they might not have liked, but who was their rightful ruler and God. Hi, I'm Sharon Wilharm, host of All God's Women podcast and internationally syndicated radio show. I'd love to invite you to join me as we bring to life the stories of women in the Bible and discover their relevance for our lives today. Listen at allgodswomen.com your favorite podcast platform, or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Now, let's ask another question. Are people supposed to affirm themselves or deny themselves? So, from the He Gets Us campaign, I looked at an article entitled, How Did Jesus Step Over Barriers of Race, Gender, and Stigma on the Side of the Road? And it's a short article talking about the Samaritan woman. So one part of it says the woman was totally caught off guard. To her, Jesus was a man who was breaking all sorts of boundaries to talk to her. To him, it seemed she was worthy of so much more respect and kindness than anyone ever showed her. It might not seem like much, but this unlikely conversation set the stage for Jesus to live out and share his message of radical love and selflessness and to invite the most unlikely of people to play a part in it all. Now, out of the account of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, 
Do we see Jesus breaking boundaries, going through Samaria where the Jews would go around it and he talked to someone who was considered an outcast? Yes, but that's not all of it. What did Jesus tell her? He told her, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And the problem between the Jews and the Samaritans was mostly an ethnic bias. And yes, compromised religion played a part in that too. And yes, we can, in hindsight, of course, and from the lesson of Scripture, criticize the first century Jews for not trying to convert and call them to repentance. Because, of course, a lot of these first century Jews needed repentance themselves. So both the Jews and the Samaritans had their problems. Now, from Jesus' conversation, he was speaking truth to this woman. He wasn't just saying, I want you to know that I love you and I accept you. You know, I'm not one of those bigoted people. He definitely showed that he wasn't. But what was the purpose of it? In John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, it says, Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that said thou truly. Now, of course, there are some various interpretations of what the situation was here. Was she a serial monogamist here? Was she someone who had been cast away by and abused by various men? Who knows, but he is pointing out things that she needs to recognize has been a problem in her life. He's in the conversation showing her love. He's also as... His message consistently is that he doesn't call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He also says in verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, isn't that important? Because the Samaritans also had a problem with understanding worshiping God, just as the Jews at the time did too. But Jesus said, the time is coming where neither in this mountain or that, but the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not just that you could worship him anywhere, but you must worship him in truth. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So what was Jesus doing here? Was it just being a love activist? Or was it also having important dialogues with sinners to call them to repentance because it seemed like this woman had a salvation experience here? Jesus knew what she did. She was amazed by that, and she wasn't repulsed by that. There'd be some people in the Gospels who were repulsed when Jesus would point out their flaws or expect them to have to repent of something. You know, you have the rich young ruler who went away sorrowfully. But this woman obviously was converted because although he pointed out her flaws, she came to him and she wanted others to come to him. 
And that's what these conversations were all about. Not just hashtag inclusion, not just diversity or what have you, but truth, spirit and in truth. And in Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we have Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. And what does Jesus say in that context? It says, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus wasn't just saying to these religious leaders, Hey, get rid of your bigotry. He was saying that, of course. We have to recognize the whole of Jesus' message. Not just get rid of your bigotry by isolating yourselves. And the eating and drinking with the sinners was not just showing them compassion. What was the compassion and fellowship all about? Calling sinners to repentance to repentance. So if people are to approach Jesus, we see in Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 through 25, a very harsh message that Jesus has for anyone who is seeking him. It says, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. So what about those particular types of people that Christians are often criticized for wanting them to repent? Those who participate in alternate lifestyles or who participate in identity politics, they expect to be identified in certain ways by inclinations and such. What does Jesus say? If you're going to come after him, you have to deny yourself. Wait a minute. It's not about how you identify yourself, about how you discover yourself, about how you can appreciate yourself. It's how you deny yourself. You do the death march. You take up the cross and you follow him. It's not about you. It's about Christ. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. So if it's so important to you that you try to figure out meaning and purpose in your life by how you identify or the inclinations or the desires that you embrace, Jesus says, if you try to save your life according to what you want, instead of denying yourself, you will lose your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. That's the message that Jesus has. Rather than affirming people in their identities and their delusions, we expect people to deny themselves. And yes, Christian, that includes us too. It's all about Jesus, not about us. So, is Jesus for everyone? Uh, He Gets Us, in an article called He Gets Us Has an Agenda, says, 
Quote, the more ideologically defensive we become, the more we are willing to sacrifice things like kindness, patience, and the respect and dignity of others for the sake of victory, the righteous ends justifying the dehumanizing means. And it's tearing us apart. We experience it in politics, in the workplace, in schools, and even in churches. And at the heart of the conflicts is a fundamental disagreement about what it means to be good. There's some truth to that last sentence there. And then later on in the article says, That is our agenda at He Gets Us, to move beyond the mess of our current cultural moment to a place where all of us are invited to rediscover the love story of Jesus. Christians, non-Christians, and everybody in between. All of us. Now, yeah, a lot of this could give you the warm and fuzzies. But is that the agenda that we should have? Is Jesus for everyone? Everyone is invited. But, you know, the old saying, come as you are, leave changed. Yet that's more like the truth. You can't just embrace Jesus as you are without denying yourself and obeying and following Jesus as he says. And there are plenty of people, even as we see in the Gospels, who wanted, as I mentioned before, those who ate of the bread and the fish, who pursued Jesus until they heard words that they didn't like. We have another example of that in John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32. It says, As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not acceptance, but truth. Truth sets you free. And as we continue to read down in this, we see Jesus telling these people that they're of the devil and they claim that they're not in bondage. And he tells them that before Abraham was, I am. And then they pick up stones to stone him. Yeah, he chapped their hides there. These people believed on him according to what they wanted him to be. But when it came to his words, when it came to being a disciple of his, that is when they got angry. And so is Jesus for everyone? Only those who are willing to believe on him for who he truly is and to follow him. As he says, if you continue in my word, if you regard my word, if you hold fast to my word, if you want to follow me, if you want to deny yourself, then are you my disciples indeed. Now, did Jesus come just to unite people? Because he gets us frequently mentions about the people behind this are a vast group of people, some more traditional Christians, others who are deconstructing faith, or even people who don't believe in God but are kind of fascinated by the story of the man Jesus of Nazareth and his historical examples, and we'll, let's all just come together and appreciate him and learn more about him. So, did Jesus want to unite people? Yes, but it comes with, of course, a caveat. Jesus came to unite people in truth. Jesus wanted unity in the truth. 
So Jesus did talk about unity, and he also talked about division. It depends on the source of the unity, the reason for the unity, and the reason for the division, because both unity and division are important in the Bible. So Jesus wanted unity and truth. And we see that in John chapter 17, where we have his high priestly prayer to the Father. And he's praying to the Father to protect his disciples. And he says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Wait, there's evil in the world. The disciples are in the world, but not of the world. Yeah, that's what he says, verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So set them apart. Sanctify them through thy truth. If anyone wants to be a follower of Jesus, they need to be sanctified through the truth of God. And the word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify them, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Hmm, This word truth seems to be very important in Jesus' words. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee and that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So we see a lot of unity here, and we see love expressed. But what's it about? It's the importance of unity around truth. We see the word truth repeated. We also see the world and evil. We see sanctified, set apart from the world, in the world, but not of it. And what is the unity? Not a coalition of a bunch of different beliefs that aren't compatible, but they're all together just seeking some kind of Jesus, but they don't even agree on what he is or who he is. No, that's not the unity that Jesus is talking about. As Jesus is in harmony with the Father, that's the kind of unity he wants his disciples with him. And so unity and truth is the kind of unity that Jesus wanted. And what about division? Did Jesus in any way support the idea of division? Well, if we have unity in truth, then we have division in untruth. So if people aren't going to unify in truth, then there needs to be a division. And let's look at Luke chapter 12, verses 51 through 53, where Jesus talked about disunity and division. He says, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth? I tell you, nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
So wait, why is Jesus dividing families here? Well, he's recognizing that because of him, there will be division. Because there will even be some people in a family who will become disciples of Jesus. And there will be others who are not happy about that. And so that will cause division between family members. So there is an inherent disunity when it comes to those who are seeking Jesus for who he is, those who are disciples and trying to continue in his word, believing on him for who he says, and wanting to follow what he says about how you are to live your life and how you are to serve him and to unify in truth and those who will be unhappy about it. And that's the division that the Bible calls for. So, the He Gets Us campaign. Sure, there's plenty of articles that you look at, and there's going to be some statements in there, in some articles that have some decent lessons to it. Some of these decent lessons can just be kind of washed in this deluded, in this message of just trying to have some kind of cultural social gospel and trying to get people not to pay attention to ideological differences. And if we could just love people and get along and just seek Jesus for how you think he is or what you believe about him, then we'll just have a better society. But that's not what Jesus taught. So I'd like to say to the he gets us people, especially those members of it, who would claim to be more traditional Christians. You are preaching some of the things that Jesus said, but you need to preach the whole Jesus. The whole Jesus is one who is the good shepherd and also the king with the two-edged sword and flaming eyes. The whole Jesus is that gentle soul who hung out with sinners and publicans but also the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who demands that you must take up your cross daily and follow him. The whole Jesus, yes, is someone who you need to overcome your biases and talk to people, but you call sinners to repentance. The whole Jesus is the one who said in Mark 8.38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Yes, we need to make sure that people know who Jesus is. We need to preach who he is. And we need to preach all of his words. Because the Son of Man shall be ashamed of the one who is ashamed of Jesus and his words in the midst of this adulterous and sinful generation. We must call the sinners to repentance. And if someone doesn't embrace the Jesus of the Bible for who he is and what he has said and denies what he has said, the Son of Man, when he comes, would be ashamed of that person when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And that's important to recognize that when Jesus returns, he's not just the lamb slain, but he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Son of Man, the Son of God. He is the divine Son of God, the one person who is fully God and fully human. The one who died on the cross was a substitutionary atonement, vicarious atonement, penal substitutionary atonement, died, paid for sins, for the sins of those who would believe on him and repent and seek to serve him. And he is the one who rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and sits on the throne until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. And he is the one who returns. And he is the one who sets up the eternal kingdom. And he is the one who will judge the living and the dead. He is the one who says to people, Depart from me, you who work iniquity. If you can't accept that Jesus is also that one, then you do yourself no favors to simply think of him as a love activist. Let us preach the whole Jesus. He gets us. Preach the whole Jesus. And so I hope that this episode, this review of the He Gets Us campaign was helpful. And stay tuned for more episodes of Truth Espresso and God Bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 